Welcome to Watch Party Wheel of Time. This is our first episode, episode one. I'm your host and resident expert, Ruark, joined by a panel of absolute newbies to the Wheel of Time. Uh, we're just going to jump right into it here. I'm going to start introducing our panel uh, in just a moment, but I will introduce myself first. My name's Ruark. I've been reading The Wheel of Time for 30 years now. I have read the first book at least two dozen times. The rest of the books, uh, uh, multiple times as well. Um, I know this inside and out. This is this is my nerddom. This is my geekdom. I have a lot of other geekdoms, but this is the one I live in almost all the time. So I'm really excited for this series to come out. I can't wait to see it. And I decided I was going to bring a bunch of people who have no idea what the Wheel of Time is to discuss it with, because I thought that would be a lot of fun. So... Let me introduce you to some of those people. DW, why don't you uh, introduce yourself? Sure. Uh, my name is DW. I'm a uh, kind of a general geek. I've uh, been interested in, I mean, it started as, as a kid being into animation and, and following the stories, some of the most brilliant stories that were done when I was younger. Um, and then even in my teen years, I still was following Gargoyles and stuff like that. Got heavy into Shakespeare. Um, I sci-fi fantasy all of it none of it with a, an extreme passion as much as shakespeare for me but I find it all enjoyable and wheel of time happens to be a series that uh everyone i know who's read it has recommended it to me and talks very well of it and i've had an interest in it it just hasn't been uh within my schedule to find the time to read it and when this opportunity came up to to see it before i read it I've noted that a lot of the stuff that I've seen and then read the books, I was able to enjoy both where people I knew who read the books and then saw the item uh, started with uh, Jurassic Park. They, people I knew who read the books and then saw the movie were very disappointed with all the things they didn't do in the movie. And I did it the other way and I was able to enjoy the movie, then read the book and enjoy the book. And so the opportunity to uh, get to see this and get to understand the story, and then, you know, if I enjoy it, then I can go and read the books, and I've got the perfect guide and Ruark here to uh, help me figure out where I'm going with this. <laughs> All right. I'm happy that you're joining us, DW. Uh, let's move on to Samaria. Samaria, you want to introduce yourself? Yes, of course. Hello, everybody. I'm Samaria. I am based in Alabama. Um, I am more of a nerd than a geek. And so I was the kid who read pretty much anything and everything, but my loves were very girly. And so when I was itty bitty, it was Babysitter's Club and American Girl. And then as I got older, I read things like the A-List and the Click, uh, which you, if you are a certain brand of millennial girl, you will know from the top of your head. And once I hit middle school, I was really into Avatar and then high school was really into Harry Potter, MCU, um, religion, history, women's rights, all of that. And so that's what I bring to the table when it comes to my fantasy tastes. So I read the Pelinor series. I read His Dark Materials. I recently gotten into Shadow and Bone. And I have cultural osmosis of a lot of things. So never read Tolkien, barely dip my feet into Game of Thrones, but I like to read things like reviews and fan reactions. And so I take in a lot of what's going on and, you know, the geekery and the nerd them and the fandom worlds um, in that way. And so, and so when Rourke brought me on and they told me about Wheel of Time, I said, bet that sounds great. Um, that sounds perfectly in line with 
everything else I'm into. And now I'm here, really excited for it. And I'm really excited that you are here because I, I, when I came up with this idea to bring people who'd never seen, never experienced this world, you were one of the first people I thought of because I knew that you were just going to absolutely dive into this world head first. I, I, I just, I know that you are going to love this. Uh, in in our pre-production, we, you were talking a little bit about uh, Avatar: The Last Airbender, being a big fan of that as well. Um, yes, and I think that that you're going to be very happy with this this show because uh, the magic system is very similar to Avatar in a lot of ways. I'll get into that a little bit later, but I, I think you're going to you're you're going to glom onto it pretty quickly because of that. It's going to make a lot of sense to you. Um, Siobhan, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself next? Okay, my name is Siobhan. I am in Toronto. Um, my uh, kind of nerd history is um, most of what I actually watch in uh, TV and movies is pretty mainstream. It's like Star Wars, Star Trek, Tolkien. Um, I tend to be a lot broader in my reading tastes. Um, I read as voraciously as much as I can get my hands on pretty much any topic. Um, the wheel of time, I think like it's always been on my radar, but I think the only reason I've never really started reading it is just the sheer number of books is incredibly intimidating. (laughs) And it was always kind of on my to-do list. But, um, the idea of being able to watch the show without having any preconceived notions and you know, trying to predict where it's going and what's going to happen next with a bunch of other people who also haven't seen it just sounded like it was going to be a lot of fun. So that's what brought me here. Great. And and you had some some awesome reactions to uh, some of the first trailers that I can't wait to share with everybody. Uh, we'll get to that later on, though. Uh, right now, uh, Greg, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself next? Sure. Hey, I'm Greg. I'm from Austin, Texas. And uh, my geekery is sort of, again, again, pretty generalized. I'm into uh, movies, TV, not any particular genre, comedy, stand-up comedy. I'm big geek on that. Uh, <laughs> then we've got the, uh, the fantasy end of things. I'm not a huge fantasy guy. My real introduction to it was Game of Thrones, and I got into it from the TV show then read the books after the first season and proceeded to be disappointed for the next few seasons. So uh, I'm not a Tolkien guy. I'm coming into this totally blind and really looking forward to it. I want to see what, what it's all about and how everybody else reacts to it and just hoping for, hoping for some fun. I'm, I'm really kind of hoping that part of the reason that you all want to take part in this little experiment is, is because of how much I just rant and rave about the, these books and how much I love this universe. And I'm wondering how much of, of that might have uh, brought some of you into this. Oh yeah, definitely. Uh, when somebody is that much of a nerd about something, there's gotta be some redeeming qualities. (laughs) Depends on if they're a redeeming nerd or not. That's true. That's true. So that's why you curating this is a beautiful thing. We can vouch that you're a redeeming nerd. Yes. And vouching that I'm a redeeming nerd, that's uh, David. David, you want to introduce yourself? Sure. My name is David. I 
am mostly a sci-fi geek by nature. So uh, your treks and your wars trek is my favorite. So, you know, you can find me on that if you want to, but I love star Wars as well. And um, I do fantasy. I do uh, Marvel when it comes up and DC sometimes too. Sorry, Rourke. <laughs> but um, mostly I geek out on TV and video. I have read things uh, when Game of Thrones came around. I read the whole thing. I do enjoy the books, but when I geek out on stuff, it's because it shows it to me. I guess I just like the music, the world building, the visuals, all of that stuff that comes with it. Um, so coming into Wheel of Time, I read the first book in high school, but I remember absolutely zero about it. I remember enjoying it. So obviously new cool production TV show of a book that I think I enjoyed, I guess. I'm going to go watch it. And I've always wanted to do a podcast. So when I was invited, um, absolutely bring it on. And also, I figure I'm going to drag my 12-year-old daughter through this journey with us. So you might hear some of her thoughts along the way. She's a big time budding feminist. And uh, Rurik has told me how much this uh, show drives that force. And so she also loves badass women. And the trailers have shown us that that exists in the show. So she's going to come along and have some of her thoughts brought in as well. Yeah. If you're, if you're looking for badass women, this is absolutely the, the fantasy series to come to there. The, there's so many badass women, which is part of the reason I wanted to hear all of your thoughts, because you people are all amazing people who love badass women. Um, and to bring in another person who's amazing and loves badass women and is also uh, quite the wild card. It's Axel. Hi, I'm Axel. I'm also in Toronto, um, cunningly disguised with an English accent. Um, my start in the whole nerdery was with the uh, be and best sci-fi um, franchise, which I will fight anyone over versus Star Trek and Wars. Doctor Fucking Who. Um, <laughs> back when Doctor when Tom Baker was the Doctor. Um, that fed into sci-fi and fantasy and um, tabletop role-playing and learning. And, and then music showed up kind of as an aside and punk rock and goth and developing a political insight and leading to my – I hate Tolkien um, <laughs> because – Everything about his politics, which are at the core of Lord of the Rings, are fucking terrible. Um, and I'm sure that'll come up in discussion, but is beside the point. Um, now, we'll, we'll have plenty uh, of time to discuss that as, <laughs> as the podcast goes on. Yeah. And so this is a series. This is a series that I've heard about. It's. Um, I have so many things. I get into things and find them exciting and interesting because I have ADHD. So, wee shiny squirrel. Um, anyhow, I haven't got around to reading it. I have a great deal of difficulty reading prolonged books these days because computer games and social media and other hobbies and blah, blah, blah. So when my good friend Rourke said, I'm watching this thing and, I, you know, and I'm doing a podcast about it, I'm like, this sounds like fantastic. Perfect. This is great for me. So... That's how I got here. Yeah, I'm glad you brought up how long these books are because I wanted to uh, share with you all a little bit of information about 
the length of these books and uh, what you're getting into, what kind of universe, uh, how big of a universe this really is. So The Hobbit, a very, very famous fantasy novel, 95,000 words. Silmarillion, 130,000 words. Lord of the Rings, the, the original trilogy, 481,000 words. So altogether, all of Tolkien's works, that's about 600,000 words. Uh, War and Peace, known as one of the longest novels of all time, 587,000 words. The Holy Bible, King's James, King James Version, 783,000 words. That New and Old Testament? Uh, I, I do not have that information. I'm going to guess yes. Um, yes. The Harry Potter series, all seven published novels, one million words, more or less. Uh, Song of Ice and Fire, or as most people are know it, uh, Game of Thrones, the novels to date is 1,700,000 words. So far. So far. If he ever finishes writing it, we might get some more words to add to that. And that's a big if. Big, yes. big fat if. Massive. Um, so all of those that I mentioned previously together, that's 4,897,222 words. Now, the Wheel of Time series, which consists of 15 books and two companion books, altogether is 4,900,000 words. So the Wheel of Time is longer than all of those previous books that I, put to get, that I mentioned combined. And I do want to thank Lauren Roundy from Unraveling the Pattern for that information. That's a great YouTube channel, Unraveling the Pattern. Go check it out. He's got a whole series of Wheel of Time 101 no-spoiler episodes that you can watch if you're interested in finding, that, finding out more information. So, thoughts? DW, what do you have, have on that? That's a really long series. I, I, I kind of want to know, based off of Shakespeare's words now, <laughs> where he fits in. Um, <laughs> But no, that kind of a length of a series creates a very in-depth world. Uh, you, you can't have that much words used and not have really developed everything. And from what I've understood, it's also very consistent throughout. So that's, it's impressive. Yeah, it, it is very consistent throughout. It, it's one continuous storyline through the entire series. You know, it, it, if you wanted to, you could look at it as one 4,900,000 word long book if you really wanted to. Uh, David, you had something to say. Yeah, it also creates a problem for the producers. Like We all know that the best books that have a lot of deep story and a lot of lore and a lot of side quests and things going on makes for some really bad movie and television sometimes. So that'll be interesting to see how that adapts to the screen. I, I'm also very interested to find that out. I can... Uh, tell you one thing though robert jordan loves his descriptions so i would say probably out of that four million nine hundred thousand words probably about three million of those are descriptions just of things like he he likes to describe everybody's what everybody's wearing their dresses how much embroidery they have what colors their favorite they he gets into it uh actually you have something Yes. Uh, to answer DW's question, the complete works of Shakespeare total 884,647 words. <laughs> Fair Good enough. Fair enough. Such a so slime. Leave it to the Englishman to provide the Shakespeare information. 
I mean, to be fair, he doesn't have a lot of description, so it, that's nearly all dialogue. Well, it's one of the reasons I often talk with Shakespeare that it should be seen and not necessarily read because uh, the actions that people are providing are not necessarily described. It's interpreted by the actors and added in later, unlike where a novel gets to have lengthy descriptive... You you mentioned that he uh, spends how many words for for describing things, but if we're going to talk Tolkien, Silmarillion is essentially just a who begat who and a really freaking long for doing it, so... (laughs) That is very true. Um, but yeah, it, it, as far as uh, the length, there's more than enough uh, uh, background to work from here. We've got all kinds of, of really fun stuff. Um, I'm going to, I think, cover just a little bit of the in-world lore, just to kind of wet your whistles, get you, get you used to what's going on with this show. Nice. The wheel of time turns, and ages come and pass, leaving memory which becomes legend. Legend fades to myth, and even myth is long forgotten when the age that gave it birth comes again. These are the words that start each and every book in this series. And this is very much kind of at the core of of these books, which is this idea of time is cyclical, and we will be reborn, and and death and rebirth and and it's it's very it it ties into a lot of hindu mythology in a lot of ways in that way in in the idea of reincarnation and you will come back and all of this will come again um and that's something i really like about these books is it it they really delve into a lot of different mythology a lot of different world mythology um one thing I've really enjoyed is as I've learned about different world mythology uh, just in my my day-to-day life, every time I do, next time I go back and read the books again, I notice some of that mythology in the books. I notice there's a plot line that, that is taken from that or a character who's named for it or something like that. So Jordan really went deep into a lot of world mythology with these books. So I'm I'm really excited to see all of you find that and 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 point it out as it pops up. I'm I'm not going to point it out to you, but I think that you'll probably see it. Does anybody have any thoughts on the religious nature of the text? Yeah. Um I'm like, oh this is so exciting. It just actually brings me back to the ninth grade where I had a wonderful history teacher and we did an entire, you know, section on major Asian mythologies and religions. And one of the things that stuck out to me that he has stayed with me to this day, 14 years later, is, you know, the differences between Western and Eastern perceptions of time and history. And so Westerners, we tend to think of history and time as linear. So one thing happens and then the next and then the next, and then it keeps going. But in the East, it tends to be things repeat themselves. So time, as Rourke was saying, is a circle. Um, you know, and the first time I ever saw that in media, in Western media, was in Avatar The Last Airbender, which is on purpose since it is heavily influenced by Eastern religions and philosophies. And, you know, the idea that the Avatar, the Avatar dies, and then the Avatar comes back as someone both completely new and unique as an individual, but the spirit of the Avatar stays. And the cycle of the elements remain. And so you'll always have a water avatar 
followed by an Earth avatar and so on and so forth, even though those are still new people. Um, And in each incarnation, that spirit gets stronger and is able to call upon, you know, past incarnations for advice, wisdom, opinions, power, literal physical power. Um, And, you know, that like, I love astrology, just like full stop. Been studying it since I was like fifth grade, 10 years old. And, you know, astrology is one of the few things left in the West, in Western philosophy and Western thought um, that calls upon that as well. And so, you know, what above as below, as above, so below, um, you know, the Zodiac is a calendar. It's a lifetime. It's, um, it's a clock. And so if like you've studied astrology, Western astrology, especially, and, you know, things repeat themselves, you know, planets have their cycles, people have their cycles, time has its cycle. And if I get to see that reflected in Wheel of Time, especially, wonder how a Southern man um, would write this, how, like, what, you know, what the history and the cultures of being Southern would bring into that, Um it's just really fascinating. Like I could probably spend like the entire the entire show focused on that alone and not what's actually going on <laughs> plot wise. Yeah, I, I I love that I've barely even told you anything about these books yet, and you're already diving deep into the lore. Uh, and and you don't even know how close you are on some of that lore. Uh DW, you have something to say? Well, following up on on uh, what's uh what was being said, um I, I love the fact, I, you know, one of my degrees is also gaming um, and role-playing games and that kind of stuff. And watching how many of them have taken from existing mythologies to create new mythologies or utilizing mythologies. Um, so the idea of, you, you mentioned that some of the stories we might recognize what they're from and stuff like and that that's perfectly reasonable because to to do that storytelling, some familiarity, some of the arcs are are uh, going to repeat themselves in literature as well, and not just time cyclical. Literature can be in a sense cyclical, and stories reco- come back sometimes to tell the story again, sometimes to show another angle of that story, sometimes to show the flaw in that story, and utilizing mythologies, especially varying mythologies, Eastern. Western, all of it, um, you can get some interesting stories by manipulating those and making, you know, your own flavor to it to tell that story. So I'm, I'm also very interested in to see how the uh, mythologies play in. David. Yeah. To, uh, follow up on DW, I'm a lot of your fantasy, uh, literature, especially is based allegorically. That's why you have C.S. Lewis is the Christian allegory for everything. Oh, yeah. Uh, so it's interesting to see how these characters are going to mirror uh, mythology, you know, not just stories and myths, but also the characters of the mythology, the gods and the things that are in them as allegories. Actually, you have something? Yeah. So I just wanted to, to touch on the concept of um, repetition and cyclicality within the fantasy genre, that can be traced right back to The Worm Ouroboros by E.R. Edison, which is pretty much the first fantasy novel, like the first high fantasy novel ever written in the English language. Um, and, uh, 1922. Okay. Like, if you're talking high fantasy, like, that's 
elves and dwarves and, and all the things we kind of associate it, with Norse myth, like it's based around Norse mythology it's written okay, in 16th yeah, yeah. century English it's about like you know a war of the world between like good and evil um kind of uh, again much more Norse than Christian or Tolkien-esque so it's more mor- morally ambiguous um it is more morally ambiguous than you know, like the, than your typical fantasy kind of a thing. But yeah, like the story ends in the exact same place that it started because the heroes kind of save the world and realize they really like saving the world. So they set things up so that it has to start all over again. And and there are themes of cyclicality and repetition that go through the entire story. And so like this is one of the things that happens because of Tolkien being the most well-known name in fantasy that things that aren't him, a lot a, a lot of them get forgotten about, right? Oh yeah, absolutely. So yeah. Anyway, I just wanted to bring that up as a- I, I mean, Tolkien talk, is definitely the eight uh, hundred pound gorilla in the room in, in yeah. any discussion of fantasy. That's yeah. That just goes without saying. Yeah. So anyway, Greg, you have something to add? Yeah. Um, the uh, the the idea of circular time. Uh, it's recently hit a little uh, a little mainstream. Uh, you know, True Detective. On HBO, the uh, <laughs> time time is absolutely a flat circle. Yes, yeah. So it, it, it's interesting that this is coming around at this time because it's that thought. The time is a flat circle has really been mainstreamed. It uh, it, it it hasn't been you know mentioned in a lot of popular culture, but now it seems like it's starting to catch on. And uh, whew, we'll see how this uh, how this ties in. Yeah. Siobhan, do you have something to add? I know I haven't really started picking apart the trailers yet. I just found it really interesting. You're discussing this whole uh, kind of core element of the show. And one of the big features that you see in the trailers is you have these aerial shots of circles, people in circles, um, circular rooms. Like It seems like they're really pushing this theme. Oh, absolutely. Assuming, I guess, that, you know, It'll resonate with people who've read the book. Oh, absolutely. It, it's a theme that runs through the entire series. Um, like just to get a little bit more into the lore of it, the the universe uh, was created at the moment of creation by the creator. Um, the Dark One was imprisoned at that moment of creation, outside of creation. Um, and creation itself uh, was spun out by a giant spinning wheel is is the conceit. Uh, the wheel has seven spokes. Each spoke is supposed to be an age. So there are seven ages that repeat over and over and over. This series, uh, well, I'll, I'll get into that in a second. Uh, the, the wheel itself spins out the threads of the pattern. We, us human beings, are the threads in the pattern. So it is spinning our threads and weaving them together to create the pattern and the pattern is reality um and as the pattern gets as these spokes go by each spoke represents an age and as each the pattern of each age comes around those themselves weave together to form an age lace so this is you know it's very 
I don't know what to say here. It's, it, it's very deep philosophy is, is I think, where it is. Uh, DW, you have something It also ties, as you were mentioning, to uh, the the Greek mythology of the fates and the loom. Yeah, that yeah gets the, the fates and the weavers. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. Um, was that your point you were going to make as well, Greg? It, yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah, we all, thinking as we, one. All, we all jump into Greek. I got great. It's going to be a horrible podcast. We're all going to say the same thing over and over. <laughs> <laughs> It'll be I, like it's a flat circle. Conversation is a flat circle. <laughs> <laughs> this podcast is a flat circle. <laughs> How meta. Oh, I've, I'm loving this. So, uh, the, the, as I was saying, the seven spokes correspond to seven ages in the the books and obviously the the show as well they're in what they call the third age so this is the third spoke on the wheel uh they call it the third age because it's the third age that they know of they can remember one age previous which was called the age of legends which was three thousand years previous and previous to the age of legends is is uh pre-age of legends you know the the first age they they know nothing about it um they there there are a few small scraps of of things that have gone through a, a game of telephone for possibly up to 10,000 years who knows um that surviving from the first age but we know very little about it so but they know it was there so that's why they claim they are in the third age greg yeah, so discussing the, the different ages here, how does this relate to anything in Earth history, or are we talking completely different world building? Like, are we taking place now in, say, the equivalent to the Middle Ages or the Enlightenment? Um, you know, uh, just wondering how it falls into a, par it, 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 a it's, parallel. It's 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 so the the books themselves take place in their own universe. Um, the what Robert Jordan himself has said is it's uh, 18th century, so the 1700s, without gunpowder. Ah, true Age of Enlightenment. So, so, so no cannons, no, no guns, but swordplay, things like that. But they're also, you know, they're they're getting into a few of the finer things. They have they have clocks, they, things like that. So, so you know, there, there's it, it's. A little bit past the usual oh medieval hovels and peasants and and feudalism that a lot of fantasy tends to to go to. Who needs to create gunpowder when you have magic around? Which is, I think, a, a large conceit of of why gunpowder and and things like that are not used as as weapons. So, uh, in that three thousand years of the Third Age, um, it started at the end of the age of legends, which was known as the breaking of the world. Uh, this was a time when the world truly was shattered and broken. Um, it was caused by the Aes Sedai, which you have already kind of learned from the trailers are the magic users in this world. They date back at least as far as the age of legends, that that's something that is known in, in within the world. And Back in the Age of Legends, there were both male Aes Sedai and female Aes Sedai, and they worked in tandem to create some of the greatest things that, that humanity had ever seen to that point. Unfortunately, they also figured out a way to release the Dark One from his prison, which caused a lot of problems, obviously, and then the resealed the Dark One within his prison, but the Dark One had a counterstroke, which they refer to as the Taint. 
Uh, I believe they're going to change that to the corruption in the show for obvious reasons, because in all of the online groups that I've seen so far, anytime the word taint comes up, you've got 30 Beavis and Butthead gifts following it. So taint one, taint the other. Yeah. So anyway, as, as they, as they were able to seal the dark one away again, he at the last moment did a counter strike, which tainted the male half of the true source, which is the source of magic in this world. So all of the men who could channel, who could do magic went mad. DW, go ahead. Is it a yin yang kind of thing? It is exactly a yin-yang kind of thing. The the ancient symbol of the Aes Sedai actually is the yin-yang without the extra dots in in the center. Copy that. Yeah. That would mean magic is, or whatever they call their magic. I'm using magic as shorthand, as catch-all. I wouldn't say corrupted, but it's handicapped, I guess. Like, you have your users, but they're missing well, half. Well, it, but it's only corrupted in for the male users. Yeah. Okay. So... So all of the men eventually went mad and essentially destroyed the world. They completely shattered the planet. Like continents would sink into the oceans and new continents would arise. You know, mountains would either flatten or come out of nowhere. Like, you know, these, these, they were doing some amazing things with their magic while they were insane. Um, humanity barely survived. And the only way they survived was, were the female channelers, Aes Sedai, uh, finally cut off all of the men from, from using magic. They either killed them or they burned out their ability to use magic. And that's what started the third age, which is the age that we're in now. So 3000 years after all of that, we now have a world where women are the only ones who can use magic because if a man is found who can use magic, they're going to hunt him down and kill him before he can go mad and cause destruction on a great, great level again. I'm guessing there's no non-binary people in this universe. Um, that so me being non-binary myself, uh, yeah. There, in the books, there are no non-binary people, but we have to remember the books were written about, started writing about 30 years ago, and and not much was known about us at that point in time. I I really honestly think if if uh Robert Jordan had started these books today, he would have included non-binary people and I am fairly certain that the showrunners will be including non-binary. But yes, uh, uh beyond that the 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 magic system itself is very gender-based. So you're already getting into that allegory of men can't handle large powerful things because they uh go mad with it but it's self-afflicted well it's Mm -hmm. outside afflicted meaning it's not something that's natural to them so in their natural purest state men can handle magic just fine that power oh that's fascinating so when you're saying that when you're saying that men are out of power they have a tendency to want to destroy things um i think it's externally based and so it's something you have to be socialized into because i i think i think that's a people thing too like i think when it comes to just in our world, when it comes to gender and power and oppression, that's something that you have to learn. There's like, in my opinion, there's nothing necessarily innate about, oh, men go mad with power or women are naturally pure. Like that's very turfy thinking. That's horrible. Um, So like the fact that 30 years ago, this author wrote in Men are the ones who are going to be corrupted with power, but that's not how they naturally are. I think that's 
very clever and um, sensitive. And honestly, it's still it's still ahead of the times because we you know we have people even now who are like, oh no, men should be out of power. Yeah. I was like, it's not because they're men. And it says something about men men's social structures versus mm-hmm. women's social structures. Because if you create it based on your external things, it's probably the people that you're around that are helping you to that. And as much as you were mentioning that this is an allegory, the, the interesting take that I'm seeing here is that it's already been dealt with. We often see this story being told where the men are in power and the men are doing their destructiveness. This is the men have already been def- like separated from the magic and now the story is continuing. So there's already been a reckoning for those who are misusing the magic, which is not something I, I'm, I'm thinking of many examples of. No, no, it's a very post-revolutionary kind of kind of setup. It's like this is what happens at, you know, when the Handmaid's Tale, uh, the men lose power. You know, where do we go from here? We've got this new society that is being built. Uh, obviously it's been going for a few thousand years. Uh, but, but how does that, uh, how does that, that work out? That's, that'll be interesting to, to check out. And it's not apocalyptic either. Right. Yeah. It's, it's, it's post-apocalyptic, but it's post, post, post post-apocalyptic. Yeah. It's not even the post-apocalypse. It's the post, post, post post-apocalypse because society has built up to a point where it is, you know, flourishing again. Yeah. It's so post-apocalypse, it's pre-apocalypse. <laughs> it's pre it's, And, it's and I'm not going to say how right you are on that, but uh, yeah, you, you, you might be kind of right on that. heading toward another apocalypse. But exactly. out of curiosity, Rourke, are you going to at some point also talk to us about his influences, who he may have been reading that kind of led him to that? Because I'm curious if there are books that he's read that were the apocalypse that inspired him to maybe put this together. Um. Ab- absolutely, I, w- I, w- I was planning as we go through this show to to share some of his influences as those influences became obvious. Um, I can tell you just because it's hot in the media right now, Dune was a huge influence in some ways. Uh, I can tell you the Bible was a huge influence. He was actually a he called himself a high Episcopalian. He took communion twice a week, so he was a religious man. And there are a lot of stories from the Bible that you'll see in there, but they are not, you know biblical stories they're they're twisted and turned into a myth in in this world um so yeah i i definitely will be bringing those up as as they manifest themselves if you don't even know if you don't bring them up your on your own because i get the feeling you guys are going to notice a lot of these (laughs) well thank you in case we don't i appreciate it yes (laughs) thanks for the vote of confidence yeah, something else I think uh, you guys might be interested in is a little history on Robert Jordan himself. Um, I didn't really get much into that, but I think knowing where he's coming from, you guys will, will also be able to see some interesting things in this show. Um, he was born in 1948, uh, lived most of his life in Charleston, South Carolina. Um, he did serve uh, tours of duty in Vietnam as a helicopter gunner. Um which does come up in the books, not, not, a, not helicopter gunners, but uh, I think that his, his military service really informs a lot of, of his viewpoints in the book, especially considering uh, as it pertains to mental health. So I think you guys will be interested to see that coming. Um, he graduated from the Citadel, which is 
um, a well-known military college in the U.S., uh, graduated with a degree in physics, actually, and uh, served for several years on in the Navy. Um, he started writing in the late 70s. Um, his first books were historical fiction written under the pen name Reagan O'Neill. Um, he then took up the pen name Robert Jordan. Uh, his actual name is James Oliver Rigney. Uh, he used the name Robert Jordan to write a bunch of Conan novels, actually. Um, Tom, Tom Doherty Associates got the license to Conan and offered him the Conan novels, and he wrote seven or eight Conan novels for Tom Doherty, and then uh, wrote Wheel of Time, uh, which took up at least uh, 20 some odd years of his life. It took up the rest of his life. Actually, he unfortunately passed before he was able to finish the novels. And the last three books were written by uh, uh, another author by the name of Brandon Sanderson. Um, and yeah, that's kind of the history of, of Robert Jordan. Um, I'm really looking forward to see how they, they bring his, his, uh, military experience and and the the things he has to say about that in the books into the show what was the pseudonym he used uh the first pseudonym was reagan o'neill o'neill okay that's yes. very very close to the uh linda blair's character in the exorcist which is ah. mcneil which <laughs> <laughs> that made me go wait a minute it sounds like he has a really diverse background which can help explain why some white guy from the South could write a really nice set of diverse novels with all of these characters and uh, different mythologies in it. Especially, you know, when you're out and you're with your brothers in on the field of battle, you pick up on all of their mythologies and their beliefs and yeah. learn to be with them and, and feel the way they feel. So probably informs a lot of his writing. I would say absolutely it does. Uh, you can you can feel it come through in the writing. Okay, so now that we've discussed discussed a lot about uh, what we're what we're going to be seeing, what's going on, I want to warn all of you and all of our listeners as well, especially if you're a listener who has not read the books and does not want book spoilers. I'm going to tell you this right now: do not use Google. Google is not your friend. Just don't even go there. You can. Uh, there are certain characters, if you simply Google their name, it will give you the giant plot twist from book 13. You don't want these kinds of spoilers. These books have been out for almost 30 years. Um, there's not anything that's in them that is not online and, and in the giant wiki repositories that are out there for this series. So Google is not your friend. I would just say avoid looking up information. Um Avoid spoilers and discussion um, in in just uh, you know articles that are being posted online because some of them are gonna not want to leave out the book information and and you know they're not, they know where it's going so they're gonna try to get a scoop and 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 that's not gonna be good for you if you want to stay spoilers free so I just want to let everybody know that before they accidentally Google the name. End up with a, a, something that they don't want to see. 
Do you think this is in any way going to have uh, variations from the book? Things that might be like with Game of Thrones, there were whole characters that didn't end up, ever end up in the series and directions that went different directions. Do you think they're going to do that with Wheel of Time? Um, well, there in the Wheel of Time, there are thousands of named characters and hundreds of characters who get an actual point of view in the books. So I'm going to say absolutely, they're going to cut and and smashed together and the, you know, there, there's no way they could get all of those characters into the show. So if something gets spoiled for you, then, Hey, maybe it wasn't. Yeah, maybe it wasn't. <laughs> if you're lucky. <laughs> if you're lucky. <laughs> well, I think that'll about do it for this episode. I want to let every, so thank everybody in our panel for joining us. And I want to say, let you know to join us next episode. Uh, we're going to be discussing the trailers and talking about the cast of characters, get some information on those before our third episode, which is going to be our first actual reaction episode to the first episode that actually airs on Amazon. Um, I do want to say thank you to Michael and Jen from Watch Party who made all of this possible and a huge gargantuan thanks to our audio editor, Jordan Rennells. Uh, this has been a production of Watch Party Podcasts. Final word, guests. The Wheel of Time is a circle. What kind of circle is it? My cereal bowl. I would say it's sort of like the center of a cotton candy machine. <laughs> Threads are just spitting out and intertwining and... I, I like that answer. That's a, They're really bad for your teeth. That's a good answer, Greg. Dave, what do you have? It's a cog in the grand machine. Samaria. It is the bits that hold my car's tires together. <laughs> <laughs> the steel-belted wheel of time. Yes. <laughs> DW, what do you got? Uh, I think it's the spindle uh, that uh, spins wool into thread for the loom. Which is actually eerily accurate. <laughs> Siobhan. So I'm going to go with the classic answer, which is, of course, duct tape. All the Star Wars nerds will recognize that one. <laughs> it has a light side, a dark side, and it holds the universe together. That's the one. <laughs> and Axel, take us out. I think Aruboros, the worm that is eating its own tail. Nice. Which is, in fact, the symbol that the show is using. So you nailed it dead on. <laughs> It's the Orin! It's the Orin! <laughs> Never ending story! <laughs> <laughs>